Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. Hans Georg Kopprich will speak about Acts chapter 13 today. We see how Paul and Barnabas were called for ministry and were sent out. In this passage, we will learn also more about God working behind the scenes, following and fulfilling His plan. As God often uses difficulties and problems to move us, do we trust that He has a greater plan for our lives and our church, and that the outcome will be more than we can see now? Do we trust God in times of transition and not lose heart, or do we make and follow our own plans? It's a great privilege again sharing with you and uh, being together with you and uh, probably many others uh, that are listening to us and uh, we welcome all those uh, that are somewhere uh, in the world to listen uh, what the Lord wants to tell us. He is a God who speaks. He's not a a dead God, but a God who sees, who has got a mouth that speaks. Um, and uh, so this very God is with us. And um, I'm so excited, and uh, I think I've mentioned that uh, several times already. It's such a privilege to serve. You know, I'm, um, I'm blessed abundantly as I uh, sit down uh, the Saturday before we, before we come here and really go to the deep end of uh, the Word of God. And it's such an incredible blessing because in the, uh, and I need to be honest, uh, you can shoot at me, in the nitty gritty of daily life, you uh, don't take that time. So um, I'm really privileged um, to dig deeper, find out the truth of um, our God who wants to guide us, who wants to help us, uh, and uh, who wants to, and then we are, the, that's the, uh, the topic today, According to the word of God, the God who moves us, who makes us to move in his direction. And uh, I don't know, uh, for many people, there is a, a song uh, from Willie Nelson, On the Road Again. Uh, it is more than just a, a car trip Sing along. I don't know uh, whether you know that song, On the Road Again. And, uh, you know, kind of a typical uh, American singer. Um, and uh, it's um, a way of life. Uh, on the road again, moving from city, job to job, and so on. So let's listen to uh, this guy, Willie Nelson, On the Road Again. Uh, you can listen to it uh, on, uh, on the internet, of course, uh, but it's a good reminder this morning, On the Road Again.
seeing things that I may never see again. I can't wait to get on the road again. On the road again. On the road again. Well, moving from city to city, job to job, school to school, these days have become a, a common place. Just consider your own neighborhood. Consider GC, Grace Church, where people really join and come. And uh, how many people have you seen move in or out lately? And, and, and what about you? How many times have you moved during the past few years? And some of them that are listening just ask that question. Moving on the road again. Although few of us really enjoy doing this when a, a higher um, standard of living or chance of a kind of a, a cozier neighborhood comes knocking on the door, off we go on the road again. For the Christian, though, there is another reason Uh, for moving, it's our God who moves us, how God moves people. That's the topic from the, of this morning. When he says it is time to go, although we may not understand why, we set out and we have um, testimonies of People in the Bible as, for instance, as the classic testimony and is Abraham, like Abraham to a land we do not know. And the book of Acts is a log of that kind of traveling. People are on the move, setting off in one direction or in another one, in response to God's call. Our time together this morning brings us to one such launching point when God clearly said it was time. Um, and God is kind of working behind the, the scenes Uh, but we need to understand, uh, dear brothers and sisters, God has a plan. Um, he has a plan, uh, not only a personal plan, but also a plan for his church, individual plans, um, plans for this world. He's got a plan. It's not plan without a plan, but he is planning things. Very careful. And he talks about his plan. They are not hidden away. You know, kind of suddenly they appear and uh, we are surprised. Not at all. Certainly not 
the kind of plan is having with his church. So in Acts 1.8, he sets out a plan. He says, you shall be my witness in Jerusalem. That's what he said now. That's a, a, a very um, decisive and clear plan. Jerusalem was as far as his witnesses went until the stones of persecution hit the calm waters and sent the Christians rippling outward into the second phase of God's plan, Judea and Samaria. And it's often in our personal life that difficulties, heavy things that ponder on us, that makes us moving. And no wonder God is really using that. Problems, crises in our lives where we start thinking again about the initial plan of God in our lives. It's difficulties. Because otherwise we may have fallen asleep already. We don't think on these plans, on the original plan of God. And once having put down some roots, you know, and it's so easy to have roots, you know, and, and, and they are important, roots and wings. This is what we want to teach our kids, roots and wings. Uh, they need to be rooted, but also need to lift and go away. Um, and and uh, there are roots, though could it be that um, the church, the Jerusalem church, I mean, had forgotten the last part of the instruction that Jesus the Lord gave. And even, he said, to the remotest parts of the earth. And that fits really to what we uh, heard from uh, one of our brothers in, uh, in Papua New Guinea, and, and, you know, if we've been there for 10 years and we were hiking through the bush and it took us days and days, you know, to walk and walk and walk. And it was pretty dangerous uh, to walk and to cross uh, big rivers with crocodiles and so on. Now, today, um, Cletus is his name. Uh, he um, sent message that all these places we went then back in the 80s and 90s, it's so easy. They are log roads now, you know. It just takes a couple of minutes where we, it would have taken us hours and hours to walk through. There are log roads everywhere now. Certainly, we understand um, and, and, and we identify with the desire uh, of the first church in Jerusalem to stay settled. And there, because settling also comes with security. But when God has a plan, he knows what he is doing. And this is just as true for transplanted Christians now as it was in the first 
century church with a first church in Jerusalem. God's plan to get these Christians on the road again is the subject of the passage of this morning. Let's go to Acts 13 and see how the Holy Spirit will move his people into these new territories. One we are still exploring until today, because in Acts um, 13, uh, it's kind of the last, the, the, the third main division of Acts. Um, it's Uh, the remotest part, we read in Acts uh, 1 to 7, chapter 1 to 7, how the church in Jerusalem was settled, you know, roots were made in Jerusalem. Then the persecution came and the Christians, they were moved as it were. They didn't like it. But they were moved, they were scattered all over. And that's the second part, which is chapter 8 to chapter 12. Uh, and then through the rest of um, Acts, starting from chapter 13, we see the ends of the world where we still are working on. The ends of the world. Um, And um, it's um, not easy to make people move. We need to be honest to ourselves. It's not easy to move from a nice place. You know, to move from security into insecurity. And transitions, it's a big topic in what we actually do at present as looking uh, after and with our co-workers all around the world. Transition is a hard subject to talk about. It's not something easy. And, and, and I guess that's for all of us. But um, there is a need. And the first few words in Act 13.1 provide us a backdrop for the action that follows. And um, Acts um, 13, 1, it says, Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch were Barnabas and Simeon, also called the black man, <laughs> Lucius from Cyrene, Manan, the foster brother of King Herod, and Paul. And Paul. Well, um, this is... What the Bible says, this was the current situation as it was. Through this phrasing, though this phrasing is simple, Luke conveys a wealth of information in this to portray the, the, the situation as it was. First, he mention, mentions uh, Antioch, the Roman capital of Syria, and the It was the kind of the gateway uh, to uh, the east. Like most large cities, Antioch was multicultural, trade-rich, but also 
offensive, obscene, difficult place to stay and to be. You know, up, uprooted people, they came from everywhere and went to everywhere. Out, uh, and on the outskirts of town stood the temple of Daphne, um, deplorable center of prostitution and pagan worship, chariot racing and sports, lured gamblers into the city where the atmosphere sent forth for a high rolling style. In distant, in, in, in distinct contrast to the city, another image emerges on Luke's canvas. That was the church. The church there in Antioch. And the, the glaring lights of the, the big city, the Lord was kindling the warm flame of Christian faith and morality. That is his way. That's what he does everywhere. He brings his warmth. He brings his love through his people in every place of the world. That's how Jesus does it. That's how that this is God's plan for this world. And um, we, the, the, the greatest Lord will be working, establishing his church as a beachhead against forces of Satan. And as we read um, in verse 1, and it's kind of difficult to read and apply to nowadays situation, there were prophets and teachers. Now, I'm in touch uh, on LinkedIn with uh, lots of Africans, and their title starts always, or many of them, Apostle. Some of them, they call themselves um, prophet as their title, prophet so-and-so, apostle so-and-so. Uh, we in the Western church, we have kind of difficulties to live with kind of a new apostleship. We have difficulties with prophets still living. And we often, and I need to be honest, we often want to discuss these things away. You know, we think, well, we have the word of God. Why do we need apostles again? Where, why do we need prophets? Well, that's a great question. Here, uh, the Bible tells us it reveals the, the ministry of the church in Antioch, as a, uh, how do we distinguish between these two ministries of a prophet and a teacher? As a prophet, a person spoke in response to a distinct moving of the Spirit, providing edification, exhortation, and, and, and consolidation. 
As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, but the one who prophesies, here uh, Paul is talking about it, speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. That's what um, you know, uh, Paul had a good view to towards uh, prophets. Uh, prophets spoke without uh, verbal error. That he, every prophet spoke ex cathedra. Whatever he said was right. Uh, they spoke in response to a stinct, distinctive um, moving uh, of the Holy Spirit. Their message furnish special guidance from the Lord as needed. Now, as a teacher, and we love teaching, don't we? We really go for good teachers, and you can give lots of names of very good teachers, uh, foundational teachers. We hardly hear something about prophets, but we hear a lot more about teachers. As a teacher, one presumably had a more kind of sustained ministry, making use of the Old Testament and the traditions of the life and teaching of the Lord Jesus handed down in the church. Thus we read in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of the breaking of bread and to prayer. This goes along exactly to Jesus' last words in uh, Matthew 28.20, where he says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The teacher provided the basic information for living in Christian life. They were to uh, educate and to explain God's truth in teaching his people, his saints. And as we read in Acts 13, 1, these prophets and teachers included and that makes everything very interesting, included Barnabas, it included Simon called uh, uh, Niger, Lucius and, um, of Cyrene, and Manan who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and of course Saul or Paul. Um, it's so easy um, and I must admit, oftentimes I've done that as well. It's so easy to skip over these verse like this, another list of kind of difficult names to pronounce. Um, and uh, But we would miss a very significant insight if we did for these leaders reflect a great diversity of background. Honestly, it is almost as describing Grace Church, isn't it? You know, you can give me a good laugh uh, about it, but when I sat down, I thought, you know, hey, I know that situation already. There is a kind of a, a incredible similarity to Grace Church. Well, Barnabas, 
there he came from the island of Cyprus. Simeon also, well, he was a black man. Sorry to uh, point that out. He came, his name was Niger, which was a Latin term, term meaning black-skinned. And Lucius from Cyrene, which uh, was west of Egypt on the coast of Africa. His name was Greek, so he was possible not a Jewish believer, but a Gentile believer from the nations around. And then there was Manon, was a, he was a member of a high society. Having grown up with Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee and Perea, the Greek word translated brought up can mean he was a foster brother. Manon and Herod Antipas may not have only been playmates as boys, but members of the same family. And then there is Saul with his impressive education and rabbinical training. A Cyprian Jew, a black man, a Gentile, an aristocrat, and a rabbi. Can you imagine the, the great variety? It's, it's amazing, you know, to meet this leadership of just one church. What an amazing variety of people. It is a manifestation of what is going to heaven in heaven. That is exactly it. This was a cosmopolitan leadership team with, with such backgrounds. They were better able to minister to the many ethnic groups in Antioch and God provided exactly for this. This was important for, for uh, God. Um, uh, consequently, the church body had become a model of diversity within a unit, unity. Uh, thus, we, uh, we were, they were a microcosm of God's upcoming worldwide multicultural ministry. This is why I like Grace Church. It's a kind of a manifestation of what we read in Antioch. The leadership of Antioch was kind of similar of what we, of what you have here at, at Grace Church. Isn't that amazing? I find that so encouraging. That is the picture of heaven. People from every nation, from every language. Meeting at church. This is but just a start. And, um, and I do think that there is nothing more exciting on earth than the growth of such kind of church. What do you reckon? You are confronted with reality of Grace Church, aren't you? We have, um, of course, to start with, uh, people from Austria. We have people from Africa and Asia. How do you meet? How do you talk with one another? 
Are you opening up or are you reserved? It's a challenge, I realize, but that's the kind of challenge God is giving out and, and giving in any kind of, of church. He brings people together that may not meet naturally to show his greatness. As we start to stand before the Lord in his grace, he gets them together. And here we see a divine interruption. To launch this worldwide program, the Holy Spirit interrupts the church thriving ministry. In Acts 13, 2, we read, And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called. Notice first when the Holy Spirit speaks. You see, the Holy Spirit has a context here. He doesn't speak without a, a context. Just jumps in, you know, knocks people out. Um, but he has a context. There is a, a foundational truth that I would like to bring across that we really should take with us. The context of the Holy Spirit speaking is serving, ministering. We do not always need to escape to a mountaintop sense God's leading. Often the best time to hear God's voice uh, is while we are busy reaching out to others, counseling or sharing the gospel. In fact, we are most sensitive at these times because the Holy Spirit is already empowering us for ministry. This is God's ripe moment for Him to lean over and whisper a word in our ears. This is the time as we minister, as we serve exactly then. We, we, we should know this is where the Holy Spirit is. This is where He settles. It is where we serve. Where we are ministering to others. Because that's the Lord's will anyway. So we can expect this is where the Holy Spirit is. So within that context, the Lord comes up with his plan. His call was not, of course, for everyone. This specific call was just for Barnabas and Saul, and they were not to choose their own field. God had a specific work for them to do. In fact, that God's calling is selective and specific, and specific is so encouraging. It is so special because it reaffirms how personal his map is 
for each of our paths. Um, so we need not to be, feel guilty when he guides our friends in a different direction because oftentimes we think the God has led me and he is leading others the same way and we hammer it down. We kill people, you know, this is how you need to be led. Not here. That's not what the Bible says. God is guiding people personally, whether to different further education, whether to go to a different kind of college or university, whether marriage or staying single, or for that matter going on missions or staying and serving and ministering in a home church. God does not read us that say, lead us at the same way. He, we need to take this always into account, looking at God's guidance with our brother, brothers and sisters around. He has specific ways to guide people. And thus, the kind of ideal transition was about to take place. Barnabas and Saul obey God right away. The future may be a mystery to them. They did not know how, where to go, what to do. Um, but they trust his new directions for their lives. The assembly of believers in Antioch too, they trusted the Lord because you see, they were the most important co-workers at church. And you don't want to lose them, do you? I mean, we experienced that in our home church uh, when we left uh, Stuttgart to do some further theological studies at uh, All Nations. Um, the, uh, we were a small church, and yet uh, in the years... Uh, that went by, I think uh, nearly 30 people went on full-time mission work, and some of our leaders, they got so exhausted, uh, in the end, you know, they couldn't believe it. But that's what the Lord did. He guided that church. And here, uh, also um, in, in Antioch, there was a guidance to the ideal transition um, and uh, in Acts 13.3, we read, When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And we've done that uh, quite often in many churches here in Austria. We sent off short and long-termers, and it was always a kind of a great festival of a church sending out uh, they are some of their best people, uh, their most dedicated one into either short-term or long-term missions. And I think it's a privilege. There can be a bigger privilege for a church than sending out people. This is why the church is actually here. This is what the Lord did with what God did with his son, he made him a missionary. He sent them out. You know, he didn't spare him. He just sent them out. And this is the purpose of any church. We can reject it. But then we have no purpose. 
And that's exactly what they did here. The people give Barnabas and Saul a blessing, but the Holy Spirit gives them his authority. Being sent out, it says in uh, chapter 13, verse 4, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. What an incredible teaching here in the Bible. And we need to heed to that teaching of the Bible. God's plan um, to reach the remotest part is set in motion and with great anticipation. The missionaries launch out to hand deliver. You see, God didn't shout from heaven, but he sent his son. It's hand delivered. It's personal. God takes in account every single person. And that's how it is. We need eyes that live, you know, looking into somebody's eyes. We need to see a mouth that speaks, a mouth. Yes, we can listen to the internet, and I guess some people somewhere, um, they listen to us, and yet with hopefully the ending of the pandemic, we need to have life worship, life people getting together again into that kind of fellowship because we don't have any other picture from God. He sent his son alive. He wasn't alive. So the gospel needs that life Communication. It needs eyes and hands and legs and a mouth uh, to do what God wants to do. And um, so in finishing today, that's a big personal question that I want to challenge you afresh. It's with great earnesty and urgency. That question we need to ask ourselves personally. How do you, and my finger doesn't go to anybody, how do I, not my neighbor, not my brother next to me, not my sister, not somebody I point to, but how do I follow the Lord? Let's apply, because if we don't apply, we hear lots of teaching, but it doesn't go down, you know, down to ground. Doesn't move our legs. Doesn't move our hands, our wallet, our eyes, our, our life. It does not move us. Now, how do we get this moving part on? Let's apply. I think all of us would agree following the Lord is certainly... A great adventure. We just uh, had uh, a great uh, meeting on uh, Friday night uh, with the Red Cross in Bodenland, which celebrated uh, their 75th anniversary. And we were sitting 
uh, with some people on the same table, you know, we communicate, and of course, the most important message is for me, the gospel, and that's exactly what we communicated. I mean, people, we're just on our mouth. You know, they didn't want to leave after all. It was 10 o'clock and they still wanted to see it. Because they heard, they listened to stories of our lives, you know, practical application to what the Lord has done in our lives. They can reject it, but, well, this is what we have experienced. They can't wipe it away. This is what the Lord did in our lives. And Margaret told all the sort of story that we experienced while we were in Papua New Guinea, in our personal family life, and so on. And she mentioned always, this is what the Lord did. It wasn't our adventure. And it's so exciting. Let's communicate that gospel afresh with excitement, with love and care. To get people as one of, um, when we came back from Papua New Guinea, we moved into a, uh, we did a, a, you know, traveling through the States. And at the end in Washington, D.C., we went to an African church and the African lady pastor, what did she say? We have to love people out of hell. Love people out of hell. This is exactly what God does. Getting us out. Let me ask you, are you willing to climb aboard or let him send you where he wills? If you are, keep these four principles that I want to point out to. First to not automatically remove any possibility. Do not automatically remove any possibility. God may be pointing you towards something new. And I realize, you know, to get pointed to something new may come as a shock. And and you make all sorts of, of excuses because, and we hear that in the Bible, you know, Moses uh, and Jeremiah and Isaiah, all of them had excuses, lots of excuses. Not a single one went without excuses. And it was through conviction of God himself when Isaiah said, here I am. Here I am. Send me. Send me. I'm not holding back. Send me. Do not automatically remove any possibility. A new ministry, a new location, a new friendship. So be open to the spirit, quiet, prompting, and do not limit his potential through you, you have more to give than you ever think of. Do not allow, secondly, activity to dull your senses. Be careful not to let even worthy church involvement distract you from hearing God's new course for your life. We had just a doctor with us a couple of weeks ago, and he changed church. To a, from a kind of a smaller church to a bigger church, 
Um, and then he said, you know, from Monday, uh, from Sunday to Sunday, this big church has all sorts of activities, and I could be in every activity, every day, a different activity. So I told him, and his eyes went big, you know, skip a couple of activities in order to relate to the people outside of church. Because if you don't do it, you are absorbed. Church activity can be so absorbing that there is no time to communicate the most important thing that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Do not allow activity to dull your senses. And third, remember God, God's moves are always selective. Be careful not to judge others who stay behind or to feel guilty because God chose someone else. He's sovereign, and whatever he does, we need to accept and not point fingers, you know, this is exactly, you are wrong, you know, you should do it like that. No, that's not the way God moves us. We need to accept. And then lastly, when God says, go, please obey, please obey. Let the Lord take the helm in your life, and the lives of those you love. The seas may be rough, the heeding unknown, but there is no safer place to be than under his flag. There is no safer place. It is certainly true. Change means stress. And we need to realize that. You know, we are not against it, and we are not against reality, so there, I put a, a whole list of stress um, uh, engagement. There's business readjustment, the change of financial state. There is a, there may be a mortgage over 10,000 euro, change in responsibility in work. A wife, because of pregnancy, for instance, stops working. A change in work hours, or condition, change in residence, change in schools, change in recreation, change in church activities, change and change and more changes. And sometimes they come with, with uh, even harder things on our lives. When, if we think of, you know, if these changes come connected with a divorce, if changes come with personal injury, if changes come as we are in the midst, Margaret, well, next week I think is your last working week officially. She retires as I did three months ago. Retirement can be um, like an, an uh, stress, underlying stress, stress, or maybe the death of a friend, of a dear friend. If you add these incredible heavy and hard events, your number of life change units soar sky high. And most probably this along with your blood pressure. Um, now, as Saul and Barnabas moved into the unknown, they are Faith in God, and that's something we need to be strong on now. 
How can your faith in the Lord protect you emotional and your physical well-being? Let the Lord give you the stability you need during the changes of your life. And the Bible gives us a word in Jeremiah 17, um, in um, chapter 17, verses um, 7. Jeremiah, I want to read that from the Bible. Uh, Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8. The Bible says, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and has made the Lord his hope. Made his hope and confidence. He is like a tree planted along a river bank with its roots reaching deep into the water. A tree not Bothered by the heat, nor worried by long months of drought. Its leaves stay green and it goes right on producing all its luscious fruit. This is what we really need to know when changes come. Let's be rooted in the Word of God, in the sheer encouragement of the Word of God, whether to different further education or college life or university or change in whatever way uh, there may be, God is in control. He knows what is happening. And it will not be, uh, don't be anxious in the year of drought, it says, you know, cease to yield fruit. I would like in finishing to describe the meaning I found in the uh, simplicity of a rainy day. When God interrupts our routines and moves us, it can seem like a Rainy day, we expect to have some rain this afternoon. Uncertain, foreboding, dark. But the one who showers us with chains also huddles us together in the home of his presence. So like the rain, change has the power to make God seem cozy, homey and safe and a place to find refuge in. As sure as God sends rain, he will from time to time cloud our horizon with change. So seek always. When there is change, seek his refuge and let it pour. Let it pour. Well, what a big lesson we could learn from the church in Antioch. That's a key lesson. This is why we brought it up here. A key lesson how the first church sent people out, their best people, and how they went, they obeyed. 
And that's something we need to learn. And in fact, when we send out people, you know, to give them, uh, you know, uh, some basic teaching, we always went back to Acts 13. This is where we, where mission starts. And we, as a church, I think we always need to go back to Acts 13, 1 to 4, in order to get a glimpse of how God works how God does things in people's life and how he moves them. Because the moving part is always a difficult one. May the Lord bless you all to be moved again for his glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who moves. A God who likes to be on the move. Thank you that you gave us the testimony. The original came from you. You are a God who moved his son from heaven. Who moved his son through life to the cross. From death to eternal life. Thank you so much that you give us the chance today in this world to present people with the biggest message ever, to be loved by God, to be accepted back to front, tip to toe. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you help us to be moved again in heart, mind, and spirit so that we follow in your footsteps so that we present people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus, with a saving knowledge of coming back to the cross. We thank you for this morning, for this very special time of training. Thank you for the privilege to sit and listen to what the Spirit of God wants us to tell. We praise you and we worship you for your love, and even more so the confidence that you put in people, in sinful people. Thank you, Lord Jesus. What a privilege to serve you, almighty God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being with us in this week to come, in the days to come in our lives, to move us afresh um, to different places to different challenges, knowing that you, the Almighty God, is with us wherever we go. Thank you for this incredible promise. We praise you, Lord Jesus, and give you all the glory. Amen.